to, I had it here. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13, last verse, which is the 14th verse. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Uh, we'll, leave the, we'll read the very last verse. I had mentioned a few weeks ago, I was driving, listening to a message, and uh, the pastor was talking about, just for a few minutes, he was talking about the word amen. And as soon as I heard it, just like the Spirit was speaking to me, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to preach a message on that word, that little word, amen. We use it a lot, and so uh, I usually do a topical message associated with uh, pre-Thanksgiving, and so I won't be here next Sunday. So I'm doing it today. We have our, uh, we have our uh, fellowship luncheon afterwards. So this little word, I'm really thankful for it. I'm thankful for a lot of things, but I'm thankful for the Word of God. And so we want to take a look at this small, this is a four-letter word that you, it's a good one. You know, we've got a lot of bad ones in this country, but this is not just a good one, it's a holy one. And I hope that you'll leave here today appreciating even more uh, as you use it in your prayer life and, and other places uh, within your walk with Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, here's the verse. Let's look at it together, starting uh, the first word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Beautiful passage. Grace is mentioned. Love is mentioned. Communion is mentioned. The Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned. God is mentioned. The Holy Spirit is mentioned. The Trinity's there. Grace, love, and communion, which is the, the, the oneness, the unity is there. But it's finished with one word and a period. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just bow before you. We ask that you would give us wisdom understanding and appreciation for this word. This one word, but also the entirety of your word. Lord, bless this time. Remove any distractions. May you fill your people this morning with your love, with your grace, with your communion. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it's the month of Thanksgiving, and one of the things that we do this time of year uh, that we need to do more often is remember and reflect, reflect on things that we sometimes take for granted. We have a lot of things that we take for granted that we could and should reflect on. Now, we know we're to be thankful and grateful for the Word of God. Are you thankful that you have a Bible? Yes. Are you thankful for the words in the Bible? Not just to read it, but in addition to reading it, applying it. Matter of fact, it does us no value just to read it without applying it. It's like having a parachute and never putting it on. It's great. It's only helpful if you put it on. To be truly thankful for the whole counsel of God, all of it, the written word. The Lord desires that we have a sincere belief in his word. You have to believe his word. A sincere adherence to his word and a sincere appreciation for his word, an appreciation, a real 
depth of, Lord, I really appreciate what you're saying here. And this morning, I'd like us to look at one small little word found throughout his word that was, in fact, established in his word. It's found in the word of God, and it was established in the word of God. And hopefully, we'll appreciate it more and value it in a way that perhaps we haven't before, that we'd have a different perspective that imparts and impacts the work of God on our faith and on our prayer life. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, I've titled this, as you can see on the screen, Thankful for Amen. The word amen will be used today literally, think about it, the word amen will be used literally millions of times worldwide in church services today. I mean, there's several million churches in America alone. The word amen will be used millions of times. Millions more times than it will be used in individual prayers. People praying to God just one-on-one. Millions more will be, the word amen will be used at local restaurants after them, just before the meal, right? Which, by the way, the unofficial rule is that you don't have to pray over appetizers did you know that, right? The unofficial rule, you don't have to pray over appetizers, pre-meal bread, tortilla chips and salsa, all the finger food stuff that's not part of the official meal. Then when the real meal comes out, you are supposed to pray, right? You know, the, but all the snacky stuff that's already on the table... Ritz crackers, all of that stuff, you're allowed to just eat without any prayer. But when the real meal comes, everybody gets spiritual. <laughs> because this is an actual plate of food. The other stuff I was eating is not really even categorized as food. And that meal naturally closes with amen, doesn't it? That prayer anyway. And if there's a pastor present at the table... They'll be asked to pray 95% of the time. And I know because I go. And everybody, Pastor, would you like to pray? I'm like, you know, you talk to God too. You're more than welcome. You are more than welcome to pray over food. This is not, this is not an evangelism crusade here. This is, this is a pot of chili or whatever it is, you know. I'm kidding, of course. But, um, but we have a Christianese lingo and ways of doing things that we've just done them this way for so long that we don't know why appetizers get a pass and then you, you pray over the real food. It's just the way we've done, we've done things. They have solid origins, but for us, they become default habits. It just become habits over time. And for kids that are raised in and around church, they've been taught from preschool to when they say their prayers to end them with what? Amen. They may not have any idea why, but it's what they've always heard. And the word amen is common outside the church as well. It's common outside of Christianity. Uh, the world knows this word amen. They may not have any idea why, but uh, people use it all over the place. Politicians like to say this one, can I get an amen at their rallies? You'll hear it in sitcoms. Literally, you'll, you still, start, listen, you'll actually hear the word amen in sitcoms. You'll hear it at company meetings. Those of you in corporate America like I used to be, you'll hear amens used in company. Like, is this a religious service? No. 
How about funny gifts people will send? Amen. You can, you don't believe me? Just take your phone, take your iPhone or Android, and look up amen on your gifts, and you'll see a bunch of them pop up. Text and social media. Even some non-Christian music has it in the lyrics, the word amen. Actually, quite a few of them when I was looking some up. Very often, it's kind of like, can I get a high five? That's the way kind of people think about it. Can I get a high five on this? It's been said that the word amen, it's been said that the word amen is, best, is the best known word in human speech. I don't know who originally said it, but when I was reading up, this is a thought that this word is the best known word in human speech. It was directly translated from the original Hebrew, directly translated from the original Hebrew into the Greek without any change in meaning, then into Latin, then into English and other languages. Today, I've got some examples of this, when you look at the word written out in other languages around the world, you'll see that it almost looks the same regardless of language. Just slight changes in, uh, in the pronunciation, but uh, if you all on the top line is written out in our English letters. You can see like underneath Mandarin Chinese or Hebrew, it's written out in the actual language there. But uh, the word itself is consistent around the world, even translated. It almost always looks like amen, regardless of language. And although amen has a religious and prayer-related context, even all over the world, amen is understood in a religious context, regardless of the culture or society, in our modern age, it's universally understood as an emphatic yes or I enthusiastically agree, kind of like that high five. That's the way people think of the word in a non-religious context outside the church or even outside religion as a whole. But let's look at how this important word was introduced to humanity and God's intent displayed by its context, its frequency in the scripture, and its usage. And we'll take a look first at its origin, if you're taking notes, which is the three things. Uh, first, it's its origin. Where did it come from? When did it originate? And we'll look at the meaning as well. Now, given our familiarity with the word amen, and both the scriptures and its contemporary use, its origin and original setting is probably rather unexpected to most people. I, I think most people would be surprised when I show you where it's first used, not only in the scriptures, but ever used. Christians included. The first appearance of the word, amen, comes in a text pertaining to the law and the accusation of adultery. The first time it's ever used in the Bible, uh, it pertains to the law and the accusation of adultery in Numbers chapter 5, verses 12 through 31. I don't have time to go there and read it. I, I wish I did, but um, you can jot it down, read Numbers chapter 12, verses um, Actually, there is one part of it that I might read, uh, Numbers chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing. If you want to turn there, you can, but um, I won't read the whole passage. You can read it in its context, but uh, you'll see the amen response. Numbers chapter 5, 12 through 31. And the response will be found in verse 22. Now, uh, let me get... You can hold your place there. Let me just give you some background context on that passage uh, where Moses is uh, doing the speaking. 
Adultery under the law was a capital offense. Adultery under the law was a capital offense. But the stringent requirement of witnesses and a high, high bar of evidence made adultery in almost all cases a private sin that was unprovable. Does that make sense? Yes, it was a capital, but it was very hard to prove, and there was a really high bar, and you had to have two to three witnesses and all those stuff. So it was in almost all cases a private sin. Even with the maximum penalty of death, it was very rare under Jewish law all the way to the time of Christ, it was very rare that the death penalty was ever administered. Very rare. I don't know, most people don't know that. They kind of, you'll run into people, you know, the Bible, they're killing people for adultery. Very rare. High bar of evidence. Mostly a private sin. You'll recall that Jesus, in his earthly ministry in John chapter 8, he rescues a woman caught in adultery. And it appears that he uncovers the private sin of the hypocritical men trying to convict her. We don't know what he writes. He writes a bunch of stuff and saying all of a sudden the dudes scatter. We all can pretty much assume that Jesus wrote things that made them not look so good. So their hypocritical you know, lies were kind of exposed to some degree. We don't know exactly how. But nevertheless, it was a serious accusation if one was accused of the sin of adultery. But God did not want innocent people convicted and so we have this process and this ceremony that's given in Numbers chapter 5. Uh, if a husband accused his wife of adultery and she proclaimed her innocence, the priest would have her take an oath and a testimony. She'd say, no, I'm innocent. I have not committed adultery. I don't know where he got this idea. It was a bad rumor, whatever it is. She protests her innocence innocence, then she would take this oath of testimony. She would then drink, the priest would administer, she would drink water mixed with some dust from the floor of the temple. Many times when I read the Bible, I realize that only God could have come up with, because the things that are in the Bible, no one could even come up with. But it's even more of a God thing when you see it in a second. She would have to drink with her oath this water mixed with dust from the floor of the temple or the tabernacle, originally the tabernacle, later it would be the temple, but originally the tabernacle floor, and where the priest explains that if she's innocent, the water will do her no harm at all. If she's innocent, it will be like drinking just fresh water or some sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. It's not going to do you any harm at all. Well, actually, maybe that could do you harm. But anyway, all that sugar. But uh, no harm at all. And if it does her no harm, then her husband's proved wrong. But if she's guilty, if she really had committed adultery, and she's lying to God and lying to the priest and lying to her husband, it would then cause her stomach to swell. And it would then cause a disease that would begin to erode her health. And she'd be under a curse from God himself. Now, notice... No capital punishment is administered. God does the judging here. Did you notice that? Because if she's innocent, it's not going to matter. Drink it, no problem. Guilty, God's the one that administers the, the, the judgment or the punishment. 
And by the way, I believe, just as a side note, I believe much of America's nonstop battle with health and the fact that we're building health care facilities on like every corner like they're Wawa's. And the mental health and everything else, I believe the hand of God's judgment is on our country right now. Which is why we have hospitals springing up and like literally doc in a boxes are everywhere. Nobody can get healthy and we have everything to get healthy. And yet nobody can. I believe the judgment of God is already somewhat on us and it, it behooves us to say, Lord, I'm yielded to you. But at the end of this ceremony, the Lord told Moses that her acceptance, the, the wife accused, her acceptance and agreement of the terms that the priest lays out is to respond with the Hebrew words, amen, amen. Take a look at it in verse 22 of Numbers chapter 5. Numbers, uh, verse 22. And this water that causes the curse to go into your stomach may make your belly swell and your, and thigh, and your thigh rot. Then the woman shall say, Amen, so be it. Amen, so be it. It's actually, uh, the so be it, back-to-back words, can, you, you can just say amen, amen there as well. We'll get to that. So her words are amen, amen, or truly and so be it. Truly, so be it. The priest lays out, this is her response. This is the very first time in all of Scripture that the word amen occurs in the Bible. This is the first time. A very solemn context. Wouldn't you agree? Very solemn. This isn't some, you know, hooping and hollering worship service amen, right? This is a solemn courtroom proceeding amen. No, amen, truly so be it. Understand that the word amen is given by God to Moses, so God originates the word gives it to Moses because it's not used any time before that. And God was the one that told Moses on Mount Sinai, this is the words that should be used. So God originates the word, gives it to Moses, and its meaning is found in the original framework. And the response to the wife, we see the meaning, is so be it. Or I agree well, everything with, I agree with everything God has set forth. I agree with what God has said. Let's take a look at its use. That's its origin. If you're taking notes. There's the Hebrew word again. It's, uh, its use, that original setting takes us to its second setting, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 27. So the second time it's used in the Bible is also in the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, under the law, where Moses enumerates a list of warnings and curses for willful sins. Again, another solemn setting, if you will. A list of warnings, curses for certain sins. And at the end of each, the people are to say a resounding, Amen. This is the second time it's used. The people's collective response retains the original meaning of truly and so be it. But it also slightly expands the breadth to include so it is and may it be fulfilled. So it kind of expands. The original meaning, uh, it's like you have the bullseye, but some rings are starting. To, the word retains the original with some added understanding. Does that make sense? So now the collective response is, so it is, may it be fulfilled. The next place we find the word amen 
is in 1 Kings chapter 1 with David giving instructions to Benihai, uh, the captain of David's guard, kind of like the captain of the secret service, if you will. He was David's kind of uh, captain of the guys that were surrounding David, his inner circle. On the anointing of King Solomon, his son, uh, Benihai's agreement, uh, not Benihana, but uh, agreement that the Lord, <laughs> you'll get to eat soon, but not there. We've got other food out there, but no hibachi grills in here today. But anyway, uh, going, going back to our text, uh, that the Lord, that the agreement that the Lord would bless Solomon the same way he had blessed David. And so he says, amen, when he thinks of Solomon being anointed. May God bless Solomon the same way he's blessed David. Amen. Agree. So be it. May it be fulfilled. In other words, you have the connotation of may God do it again. May God do it again. So if you've ever used amen, you're, you're, you're using it correctly. If you Amen, God, do it again. It's, we see that context. As he did with David, so he would do with Solomon. And in 1 Kings and Nehemiah, uh, we also see the congregation responding with amen in concert um, with praises and with worship. So the connotation of amen as part of our worship and adoration starts in the Old Testament. So we see it. We were in the book of Nehemiah. Do you guys remember when we were in the book of Nehemiah? That was in the context of the congregation, all saying amen in a praise and worship service. This continues in the Psalms. Uh, each of the amens follow blessed be the Lord. So you'll see in the Psalms, blessed be the Lord, amen. Blessed be the Lord, amen. And or... The other phrase is, blessed be the name of the Lord. These are the passages that you'll find in the psalm. You see, blessed be the Lord or blessed be the name of the Lord, followed by amen. Uh, not only connected to worship, but this is also affirming the greatness of God's name and his matchless character. So amen is like, kind of like a spotlight on the character and matchless name of God. Does that make sense? A amen kind of spotlights it. In Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, amen is related to God's promises, his truth, and his faithfulness. So amen is kind of uh, pointing to the faithfulness of God, the truth of God. Going back to the Psalms for just a second, amen is used as the closing word to the first three books in the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms is made up of five books within the Psalms. I mean, you have the book of Psalms but it's actually five books inside the one book. And the first three books, not the first three chapters, but the first three books within Psalms, uh, something that's referenced, by the way, three times in Scripture is always significant, like a verily, verily, verily. You'll see this in Scripture. But uh, the first three books, the closing endorsement and agreement with the entire book is amen. We see it each time. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. All three of the first opening of the three books. Now to be sure, uh, as we see in these three books, the amens are not needed in one sense. They're not needed to validate Scripture. If God says it, it's already settled. Amen? <laughs> if God says it, it's already settled. And yet God still does emphasize it here with 
double amens at the end of each one of the first three books of the Psalms. But I believe it emphasizes, this is just my own personal opinion here, I believe it emphasizes God's desire. It doesn't change, if God says it without an amen, it already is settled. We understand that, right? If God says go and doesn't put an amen on the end of it, it still means go. But I believe that it emphasizes God's desire that we would agree with the written word. That makes sense? That it's for us that we would agree. He already knows he's right. But that we would agree with his word, that our agreement and our appreciation like roots of a tree go deeper. That's what we're doing in Hebrews. The whole thing in Hebrews is that your appreciation of the gospel goes deeper. Your appreciation for the blood of Jesus goes deeper. Your appreciation for the Messiah goes deeper. Your appreciation for the Old Testament fulfilled in the New comes deeper. And your appreciation for the word amen, same thing, and ultimately the agreement with the Word of God goes that much deeper. That we would stake our life on the surety of the Word of God. We'd stake our life on the surety of His Word. The use of amen as a conclusion, as a period that that closes the written word, it only expands in the New Testament. It's more often in the New Testament. In other words, what starts in the Old Testament blossoms and blooms in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the New Testimony. By the way, Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testimony, New Testimony, New Witness, all these are the same. They're synonyms of what, we, what God is conveying. So, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books of the uh, New Testament, you guessed it, they end with, amen, all four of them. You can say, I wonder if that's true. You can look it up in your own Bible. You can open your Bible, get to the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see an amen and a period all four times. The fourfold witness of the gospel the fourfold witness of the Gospels are punctuated by a fourfold amen. Amen, 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 amen. Four different writers using the same concluding word written at different times, but they all use the same closing, and it has the exact same meaning in the Greek as it held in the original Hebrew. Just moved to a different language. The use and the meaning doesn't change, but it does expand. The original stays core, and it expands. Its its importance does not fade. It too expands. In addition to the four Gospels, it's not the only ending in the New Testament, Romans ends in amen. 1 and 2 Corinthians end in amen. Galatians ends in amen. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 John, Jude, and finally the final book of the entire Bible, the final words of the entire Bible in Revelation, all end in what? Amen. Every single one of those books, letters, epistles. We'll come back to that in a few minutes, but again, under the Old Covenant, what flourishes, what started in the Old Testament flourishes in the New Covenant as this preeminent word of agreement with God. It's the preeminent word 
in the scriptures of agreement with God. Yes. True. Truly. So be it. We agree. All ways of saying amen. And it simultaneously retains its original solemn context, its original solemn response due to what? The holiness of God and God being the author. Because what do the angels say about God in heaven? Holy, holy, holy. So the word retains its original holiness, but this expanse of praise or agreement or truly or we believe, if you will, all, all of that, it's, it's, the core is still the same, and yet you have this expanded understanding of it. And by the way, this is true of a lot of both Hebrew and Greek. There's more depth to the words a lot of times what you'll find in the English language, but um, it, retains these, it retains the original, but then you have the rejoicing aspect of the Psalms. That you can use the word amen in worship. It has a rejoicing context. The collective voice of the people saying, amen, may God do it again, or it's fulfilled. All of these are in harmony with each other. But it goes deeper still. Jesus, in teaching the disciples and us how to pray, concludes the model prayer to the Father in Matthew 6.13 with what? Amen. And that's, that's where the little kids started it, you know, right? It, it, Jesus concluded when, he, when, the, when they said, teach us how to pray. And he, he goes to the model prayer. Uh, he actually teaches uh, there in Matthew 6, 13. But Jesus, it's not the Lord's prayer because he doesn't ever have to say, and forgive me of my trespasses. Jesus didn't have any trespasses. It's a model prayer of teaching us how to pray. But at the end of our prayer life, he's saying, say Amen. We conclude our prayers with amen because Jesus modeled it and taught it. And then the Apostle Paul, who was given a great portion of the New Testament to write, he reiterates it in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 16. So Paul also taught to end our prayers with amen. But amen is not only a concluding statement, but in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, hear this, amen was often an introductory word in the ministry of Jesus. In other words, Jesus would start things, saying things with amen. He would open a dialogue with the word amen. When you see the words in the scripture, especially when you're reading, and you're reading the, New, the New Testament, you see the words verily, verily. You guys seen these words, right? When you see those words, think amen, amen. When you see verily, verily, you can think amen. It's the same Greek word for both. Jesus would all, often use it as a way to start, so so be it, so be it, true, true, right? Let it be, let it be. He could start it or finish it, but he would often start with that. It's the equivalent of opening statement of truly or uh, faithful, faithful. What I'm about to say, faithful, faithful. So one word, but like a coin, you have two sides of a coin, but it's the same coin, Right? Same thing here. It would, Jesus would open statements with verily, verily, or faithful, faithful, truly, truly, so be it, so be it. And yet you still have one coin because we use amen to conclude things as well. And throughout the New Testament, the Greek word for amen 
opens with truly, truly, and it ends with, oftentimes you'll see an opening and an ending. And it ends with, yes, so be it, but the opening is kind of the context of truly, truly. And then the ending is, so be it. So, verily, verily, amen. The original meaning hasn't gone away by the will and intent of God. It's, again, once I've said, as I've said before, it's expanded. And really, the very first use of the word back in uh, Numbers 5.22 also had that double amen. Did you see it? Truly, so be it, right? Amen. It said, amen, so be it. So we have that kind of opening, closing uh, right there uh, in the denoted compound of the very first uh, time we see it in the Scriptures. And we see this compilation expressly used as the opening and the closing of a worship statement that takes place in heaven. Uh, take a look. I think I have it on here. Revelation 7, 12. Uh, so we see it as an opening and a closing in Revelation, this actually takes place in heaven. Um, so we get a Windows view, uh, what's going on. Obviously, this is in the future. And look at the verse. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to, God, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And by the way, something I hadn't noticed until I was studying, um, you know, I felt like the Lord put this little topical message on my heart a few weeks back. Uh, I hadn't uh, noticed it until I was studying it, that the word thanksgiving, and it's capitalized in your Bible too. It, I didn't capitalize it. It is capitalized. Thanksgiving is sandwiched and capitalized between the two amens of verse 12. Isn't that cool? Uh, here we are celebrating thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, as I was looking at this, at first I had even wondered when I put the title on paper, thankful for amen, I'm like, is this the best way to frame this message? And yet I had an absolute resolute peace to keep the title thankful, thankful for amen. So um, and then I got to this verse, and I'm studying this verse, and I had two thoughts. Number one, there's no original thought for you and I because God already has thought of everything, right? Uh, and, and I didn't realize that the word thanksgiving is in the verse with amen on either side of it. And this, uh, you'll see it in uh, this, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 16 as well. Uh, and number two, me personally, and perhaps you now, I'll never think of Thanksgiving and amen the same again. I'll always think of them now when I think of Thanksgiving season. I'll think of how amen fits in because this is in heaven. Amen, Thanksgiving, amen. And you should be saying some amens at Thanksgiving over the meal and uh, just thankful that your family got there safely and uh, all these things. And, it's, and hopefully when you say it's good to see you, you mean that. That's a true statement, you know, that kind of thing. Amen. You know, the, if not, prepare your hearts in advance. <laughs> Family's great, isn't it? That's a different teaching altogether. But, it, um, but in fact, this is actually a great verse to read over your Thanksgiving meal. It's a great verse to, to kind of over the meal, read it together and say, amen, amen. And thanksgiving is, is included by God. Now, we understand the origin of amen. We understand its meaning. We understand some, not all. There's much more depth than given our time constraints, but we understand some of its breadth, some of its usage in this small but powerful word as it's used in the Scriptures, as it's used in prayer, and by Christ, 
But I want to close with its ultimate fulfillment, uh, what this same word perpetually points to. So we'll look at, in closing, its fulfillment. Last thing this morning. Now this word, understand, this word is used, whether you have picked up on it or not, just what I've mentioned already, passages that we've read, the last passage is, is one of the proof points of what's taking place in heaven. This word is used specifically by the Lord, by men, by angels. This word's used by the Lord, men, and angels. You can't say that of a lot of different words, but this word you can. It's used specifically by the Lord, by men, and by angels. It's used in the past, it's used in the present, and we see it used in the future. It's actually mentioned in future state. But present, we use it now, and we see it recorded, used in the past. It's used in heaven, and it's used on earth. And yet, there's actually still more. The final book of the Bible is called what? The Revelation. It's not... It's not revelation, it's the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. The real title of the book is found, in, uh, and you can look at it, turn, if you want to turn to Revelation 1.1, you'll see it. The reason we get the title is found in the opening verse, the book of Revelation, the title found in the very first sentence, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and most of your Bibles should say above that, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the title of the book. Chapter 1 opens with three amens. Chapter 1 of Revelation opens with three amens. Two by John, one by Jesus. Two times John says it, one time Jesus says it in the opening chapter. Um, so we, have, we also have, although they're, uh, they're different meanings, but they have the same kind of understanding for us, each one has some additional depth. But there's three first, last, or beginning, end statements. You see them as alpha, omega, beginning, end. There's three of those statements in the opening chapter, two, um, where Jesus is the alpha and omega, beginning, end, which is interesting because we see amen as an opening and a closing. Right? We see amen sometimes at opening, sometimes at closing. Uh, we also saw, you know, we saw those opening statements of truth and worship uh, back in, in Revelation 7:12. But then look in Revelation 3:14. I'll have it up on the screen anyway, so you can look up on the screen. This is Revelation 3:14, third chapter, 14th verse. Um, Jesus here, in the only place found in Scripture, all of Scripture, Jesus reveals that one of his names is guess what? Amen. Amen. This is the first time it's ever told in Scripture that Jesus' name is Amen. Revelation 3.14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning and creation of God. Now this might elevate your kind of using this word a little more sacred once you realize it's one of the names of Jesus. So just kind of tossing around the way people use it you know, you might want to find another word. There's other words you can use. Just do the high five, you know, you know but, but come up with something. There's other things out there. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be dogmatic on this. I'm just simply saying I hope that God 
reveals to you that there's more holiness to the word. There's more depth to the word. We've kinda, we kind of take everything in America and turn it into funny. And yet there's, there's something here I think God wants us to understand because he brings this up near the end of the Bible. Oh, by the way, you've been using amen a long time. It's the name of my son. How about that? And Jesus reveals it himself. So we see the greatest fulfillment and representation of amen is actually Jesus himself. Um, you can see that amen, as Jesus would use it, is very closely related to the I am statements of God. When God says I am, he says I am that I am. Jesus can say amen, amen. Everything I say is faithful, faithful. It all fits, doesn't it? It's very close to the I am statements of God. Uh, because it even says here, connected to amen, it says he's the faithful and true witness. Now, you know from our study in Hebrews that when God takes an oath, he can only take an oath on himself because there's no one else to back him up because everybody else is flawed, sinful, and so God's oath is always on himself. He doesn't need to take an oath before the priest like the woman drinking the water, right? God says, amen, amen. I am, I am, faithful, faithful, true, true, oath is on my own name, done deal, you can believe it. His own name, because only God is all truth. And then finally, so we have this passage where Jesus says, I am the amen. And then finally we have the final words of the book of Revelation, which are also the final words of the entire Bible. And let's take a look at them in context, which is actually... I put on the screen the last two verses, not just the last verse. Amen is found in the last two verses, and then the very last word of all Scripture. Revelation 22, verse 20, 21. He which testifieth these things saith, I love John's writing it, and Jesus pops in <laughs> right here. You know, it, it, the writing of Revelation is, is unbelievable anyway. John will be speaking, and all of a sudden Jesus will grab the mic and hand it back to John, or grab the pen, and then hand it back to John. And so Jesus here grabs the pen and inserts, red letter, surely I'm coming quickly. Notice that amen is directly related to the return of Jesus Christ. Directly related to the return of Jesus Christ. Right after that, John says that the, the first amen, both amens are written by John. Now, the Holy Spirit is telling John what to write, and John's spirit can't say anything but what? Amen. He actually knows it's Jesus' name because he already wrote chapter 3. And he's in full agreement. And he's saying it's faithful. And he's saying so be it. And he's saying truly all at the same time. John says, well, John, would like all of his fellow disciples have already been martyred. John's like, bring it on. Can you get me out of here ASAP, right? And those of you that watch the news sometimes, you might every now and then say, even so, come Lord Jesus, amen, right? You know, you kind of see something happen. You're like, Lord, would you please come back? That's the way John is responding here. So Jesus' last words given to his bride, the church, and these amens that follow, they underscore an exhortation by Jesus himself. Remember the name of the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, when you say amen, you're saying that you agree that you want me to get back here soon. Because he said, I'm coming quickly. 
You agree that this world needs me to clean it up. You agree that you need me now, immediately. And you respond with truly, so be it. Truly, so be it. Last week, I loved Jonathan Krause's um, word of encouragement not to overthink our response to things. Because when we overthink it, we just don't do it sometimes. Not to overthink our response to God, but just, he said what? Just obey. Just step out. And in like manner, I'm thankful for all the promises of God. But these final promises right here have everything to do with the purchase of salvation from Jesus. Do you agree with that? These promises right here, the grace of our Lord, the grace speaks of salvation. We read the opening statement in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Uh, the grace, the love, the communion. But these final statements that John writes and Jesus said, I'm surely come, they have everything to do with the salvation that he purchased. If you don't have salvation, you can't say amen. You would say, don't come, don't come. Not yet, not yet. Not ready, not ready. Don't believe, don't believe. You know, right? That was, that's what your unsaved family members or neighbors, that would, that's what they'd have to say. Or, or give me more time, give me more time. Whatever it is, but they can't say amen, amen. But if you're saved, this for you is say, I believe in this exhortation. I believe in this promise. And I believe that the word has a holiness uh, what I would desire from, from us, as we understand the word, is that you know we have been talking a lot about, and we're going to continue talking a lot about it in 2020, about that God wants every single man, woman, and child above the age of accountability to be what? Disciples of Jesus. And so when Jesus says to you, which he's already saying in his word, I want you to be my disciple, you say, amen. And you can be in agreement with that statement, not, uh, well, I... I I can't really be in agreement with that. I can say amen on a meme, but I can't really say amen to the actual holiness of the calling to be a disciple. And God wants us to be able to say a heart-filled amen. Our response is to be that simplicity and the power of amen. Amen? The simplicity and the power of amen. Uh, to say true, so be it, we agree, not overthinking it, but that our hearts would already be ready to obey and say, Lord, I'm not going to overthink this. I'm going to just agree with you that we're called to believe and agree with God. And while you're giving thanks this month, and, you know, it is good. I, I, this really is, other than, other than Resurrection Sunday, this is really the best American holiday because to remember the cross and to be thankful are, are, are really the best. I mean, there's no real, uh, you, can, you can really have a lot of treasuring of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, but really our, our real celebration is the rising out of the grave. And I'm not, I like Christmas, don't get me wrong, I'm just simply saying that we need a lot of thankful hearts and we need to remember the cross. So when you take those two thoughts together, one in the spring, one in the fall, in the same way uh, the, the, the heat the, the in, in, uh, in the law, the feasts were in the fall and in the spring as well. We kind of actually have a mirror of that. But we are to be thankful. And as you're thinking about and reflecting and giving thanks this month, thank God for this small, beautiful word. 
And in your prayer life, when you start to say amen, I hope it, 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 you're reminded, no, this isn't just some word I say at the end of a, uh, or beginning of a meal or end of a prayer. This is one of Jesus' names. This is holy. This is worship. This is praise. And he's given this word to us to remind us to agree with God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you once again. We're thankful that you don't give words for no reason. Every single word you've given has a purpose, has a plan, has a power. And Lord, this word, I pray that uh, we would not be flippant with it, but appreciate it in the context that, Lord, you've given it in a, in a solemn and a holy context, but in a praise context, in a truth context, in a, Lord, we're expecting, we believe, so be it, in agreement with you and the name of your own son, Jesus, being faithful and true. Lord, I pray that you would give us a deeper appreciation for it. Uh, but, Lord, it would just, even as we pray, it just transforms the way we pray, open your word, and we see, Lord, that you're doing these things, you're saying these things, you're giving us these words and these uh, specific commandments to conform us into the image of Jesus and to be expectant and ready for your return. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to, uh, Lord, just mature us. Lord, may we all be in agreement to be disciples as we close out this year and be thankful that you've saved us and thankful that you've called us to be disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.